And we're back in the studio. Welcome to episode 52 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I'd like to thank you all again for joining me here. If you are checking me out on the YouTube channel, enjoy the content, haven't done so already, please don't forget to click like, subscribe, flip on those notifications. Or if you prefer the audio version of the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and the other platforms, same general rule applies. If you're enjoying the content, click like, subscribe, and turn on those notifications. So continuing on the theme of seeing movies that are new, new new-ish, things made for Netflix, which played in a couple of theaters and then appeared on Netflix. I have watched Todd Haynes' very disturbing, although not in the way that you would expect when you read the description, but Todd Haynes' new film, May, December, which, if you look at the IMDb score relative to the Rotten Tomatoes, doesn't jibe because the IMDb score would indicate a film getting shitty reviews because it's in the high sixes, the Rotten Tomatoes score is 90%. I.e., this is not an audience movie. This is not a grand old time at the movies, whether you happen to go see it in cinemas or at home being horrified as I was watching it on Netflix. Now, before I get into the nuts and bolts of the film, different reactions, which you can you know, find online, The reviews are great, but many of the positive reviews will point out stuff like, be forewarned, dear viewer, this is not for the faint of heart, but not in the way that you expect. So this sort of editorial commentary, in a way, is me singling out my old New York University professors and the Cinema Studies Department at large. Now, I am, as many of you know, 50. Not going to do any high kicks for you. But my NYU uh, tenure was 1994 to 97, my undergrad days, to be precise. And there are certain filmmakers that were not well known to general audiences. Not that the average film fan knows filmmakers like under the level of the Scorsese, Spielberg, Christopher Nolan, but that they had not made movies that you could see in cinemas. And there were certain filmmakers that even as early as 1995, 1996, were very much appreciated, and you might even say beloved, and kind of worshipped at New York University. Long time ago, 27, 28 years, 29 years ago, in some cases. I mean, I started in the fall of 94, so now we're almost on three decades, right? Todd Haynes was one of those filmmakers. Todd Haynes made a movie, well, he did a very, very disturbing, uh, I don't even know what it would be called, almost an animation-style thing about Karen Carpenter, but that got him a lot of notice and acclaim. It was brilliantly done. But he made a movie in 1991 called Poison, which I did see. I kind of tuned out. I found the subject matter to be, it was beyond... My powers are beyond your understanding. Jake Johansson is a comedian. Um, the movie was beyond what I was able, my, my uptake at age 21. It, I just, my brain checked out. But more than one professor talked up this guy. He was very young. He was in his early to mid-30s at the time. This is someone to watch. And he's already done great work. And I'll, many different people 
were huge supporters of this movie of his called Poison. Now, fast forward a little bit. Todd Haynes made a film with Julianne Moore, same Julianne Moore who stars in May, December. She's fantastic, you know, multiple Oscar nominee. She took over for Jodie Foster in Hannibal when Jodie really didn't like the book and she thought the script was bad, whatever. Julianne is great. I've been a fan of hers for three decades. You know, even in The Fugitive, small role with Harrison Ford, she registers. She's one of those people you always know when she's in a movie because she just, the camera loves her and she just registers. She has a way when she's on screen, she commands attention just with her face and the way she can act with her eyes, all of this. So she did a movie with the same filmmaker, Todd Haynes, 28 years ago called Safe, which I didn't see at that time, but there were many people talking it up. It wasn't as easy to see films back then, especially ones that were independently funded, financed, and theoretically distributed. Everything about the movie business, when it comes to distribution, and can you actually see this, totally different than today. So I did not go to see that in theaters. We did not screen it in a class. I did not really have a process by which I could see that film unless I randomly was going to drive, you know, 200 miles to a cinema where it was being shown. Didn't do that. But the movie Safe was, if you remember the Mark Wahlberg film written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, not one of his best, The Happen, which was originally called The Green Effect, in many ways took inspiration, in my opinion, I don't know if if M. Night Shyamalan or Mark Wahlberg has talked about this, but it seems to have taken in, uh, inspiration from the movie Sick, where Julianne Moore plays normal woman who is slowly poisoned by the environment. That's basically the movie. She's a normal person, she seems fine, and she keeps telling everybody she's fine even as she is slowly dying. Todd Haynes continued to make these kinds of challenging, difficult films that either, I don't want to say took shots, but everything was not done in the way that you expected from different angles. Like M. Night Shyamalan would never have made the movie safe. He made the movie like The Happening. He thought differently. His films were more narrowly focused. And in, for example, May, December, which I'm going to get into in more detail, obviously, Without giving too much away, you keep expecting the story to be broader than it actually is. And, and somebody like me says, oh, it's, it's Todd Haynes. Uh, this is not going to turn into Jerry Bruckheimer, you know, Michael Bay kind of situation here. This is going to stay focused on the characters and the bizarre shit that's going on and has gone. So in addition, in addition to Todd Haynes, two other filmmakers that were very popular at NYU in the mid-1990s, who ended up going on to unbelievable careers. Well, the biggest, Peter Jackson, ended up, of course, doing Lord of the Rings. Phenomenal filmmaker. Peter Jackson did a film in 94. He did Dead Alive, Bad Taste. Like, he was making these kind of crazy, off-the-wall, like, horror comedies. I mean, Dead Alive is completely insane. That's one you could find on streaming. It is batshit crazy. But he did Heavenly Creatures, which, again, numerous professors talked that film up and said, 
It's amazing. Never seen anything like it. Whoever this guy is, it's Peter Jackson. He's this guy's got the chops. This is a this is a name to watch. So that was another. And <laughs> Wayne Wong. Wayne Wong did a film, 1983, called Chan is Missing. It's an independent film shot in Chinatown, but I believe San Francisco, Chinatown. It, it could have just as well been shot in New York. It, was, it didn't really matter that it was San Francisco, Chinatown, or New York, Chinatown. But the movie sounds like it's going to be boring, and it is not. It is this kind of gentle, rambling comedy about these two cab drivers who they had a friend who owed them money named Chan and just as the title suggests he owes them money and he disappears he's missing hence the title Chan is missing and the movie is these two guys trying to find their friend Chan who left without paying them back and nobody knows where the fuck this guy is the movie's amazing. And then Wayne Wong went on to make some big Hollywood films. They really weren't that high. He did the Joy Luck Club, which is three decades ago. And, uh, but he made, uh, excuse me, made in Manhattan with Jennifer Lopez and uh, Ray Fiennes, which was, I think, a pretty substantial box office hit. But he also did a great independent film with a big non-independent cast, Smoke, which was 1995. And it was, it's one of Harvey Keitel's best performances for me. I love Keitel, you know, Taxi Driver, Mean Streets. Love the guy. Thelman, Louise, Bugsy, phenomenal. Reservoir Dogs. Keitel does something different in that movie. He plays a Brooklyn cigar shop owner. And William Hurt, another actor I adore, former Oscar winner himself, unfortunately passed. He played Thunderbolt Ross in the Avengers films for the, the youngins out there. Uh, William Hurt plays a, a, a successful author who's struggling his wife has passed. She was a widower. And he's friends with Keitel. And the movie also doesn't go where you think it's going to. It takes its time with the characters. It's not really about plot. It's about people. And it is incredible. It is an amazing movie. So the idea here is that there were these filmmakers, and Todd Haynes being maybe the guy who has had the quirkiest career out of that, but that the professors at New York University, the scholars, in some cases the geniuses. I mean, Bill Simon, the uh, former chairman of the department, when the filmmakers themselves are your friends, you are doing something right. And Bill Simon counted both Martin Scorsese and Stanley Kubrick as personal friends. That doesn't happen in a vacuum. That means this person knows what they're doing. This person is probably very well-schooled in movies and understanding why they tick, in some cases, why they don't. So they were all very high on Todd Haynes, Peter Jackson, and Wayne Wong. And Todd Haynes has continued to make these kind of different and distinctive films. And one of his movies that many people talk up, which I haven't seen, is a film from the late 90s with an incredible cast headed by Ewan McGregor, and Christian Bale is in it also, called Velvet Goldman. Didn't see it. And I didn't see the movie Carol, which got a lot of acclaim a number of years ago. Uh, he did the Bob Dylan kind of, is it a mockumentary? 
but I think it was the one with Kate Blanchett called I'm Not There. I didn't see that. But a movie of his that is as close to conventional as Todd Haynes has made is the film called Far From Heaven. And it's just amazing how certain people were able to guess careers. Because I knew people, and I love M. Night Shyamalan, but there were people that were saying when he came on the scene with The Sixth Sense that this was basically going to be a cross between Steven Spielberg and John Ford. Now, Shyamalan has had a great career, but he's had a lot of missteps. He's made movies that were just not good, despite the fact that he is massive talent. Like, he is incredibly talented, Shyamalan, and not just as a filmmaker, he is a great writer. He's written some lousy scripts, in my opinion, that probably shouldn't have been made into movies. But the nuts and bolts of writing, it is very intimidating. You know, like, I don't want to read his script because I can't do what he does. The script that he wrote that'll never get made, Labor of Love, that is exemplary. Like, how the fuck did he even come up with this? How did he do this this well? So, Far From Heaven is Todd Haynes' interpretation of the sort of classic 1950s repressed sexuality, homosexuality was a sin at the time, all of these kinds of things, these, these tropes. It was his version of a Douglas Sirk melodrama. Douglas Sirk made movies like Written on the Wind, All That Heaven Allows, Magnificent Obsession, Far From Heaven is his 2002 interpretation of the kinds of movies that Douglas Sirk made in the 50s. And again, Julianne Moore stars as a repressed housewife whose husband played very well by Dennis Quaid. And there was actually a lot of talk. Dennis Quaid had two movies that year where there was Oscar buzz for both. He was in Far From Heaven, it would have been supporting. And he was in The Rookie where he played the real life a uh, baseball pitcher, Jimmy Morris, who ended up making the major leagues when he was in his mid to late 30s, which is a crazy story. And Quaid is great in both films. Didn't get nominated. Sucks. But what are you going to do? But Todd Haynes, Far From Heaven. There was a lot of, again, acclaim. Didn't really do that well. I saw that one in theaters. I didn't love it. But I didn't love Written on the Wind, and I did not love All That Heaven Allows, which I believe is Jane Wyman and Rock Hudson. And there was a lot of very uncomfortable, like I was I'm about to talk about with May, December, uncomfortable conversations that you have about movies that go to areas you're not, you don't want to talk about, you don't want to ponder. But all that heaven allows, Rock Hudson, who we know was gay, is playing a straight character. And he is presented in that film in such a way that they're almost championing his straightness. And it's not something that I thought was going on when I first saw it. But if you watch it now, if you see other films by Todd Haynes and some other filmmakers who are you know, always trying to push the envelope, you say, okay, that's exactly what's going on here. Why didn't I see it? Well, I didn't see it because I was a little bit like closed-minded when I was 21. I didn't want to accept that there were 50 different layers to an individual scene in a movie, which sometimes there seems to be. So, May, December is loosely based, inspired by, you know, they have to have deniability. It's not the story of Mary Kay Letourneau, but it's pretty close. And I remember in the mid-90s when the Mary Kay Letourneau scandal broke, I was 
flabbergasted, quite frankly. I couldn't believe that it actually had happened, but it did. What May December does is not focus on the actual scandal. It focuses on the present day, literally 22 or 23 years after the scandal, after the fucking idiocy that took place, the disgusting, horrendous bullshit that took place. And so Julianne Moore, working with, I guess, her favorite filmmaker, again, Todd Haynes, she worked with him already so many times, and does her best work with him, if I may say, and has done. She plays um, a woman who was working in a pet store, and there was a 13-year-old kid who she hired, and they basically start having sex. And before you know it, she becomes pregnant. Now, her character in the movie had already been married, had a family with her husband. They seem to be somewhat content and happy. And, and this is all backstory, right? The movie opens present day. I think it's actually supposed to be 2015, but it might as well be the present day. It's not critical what the exact year is. We meet her character. Um, you know, it's funny, I don't remember the name of the character. I'm going to look it up so I don't have to keep saying, you know, Julianne Moore. But um, we meet her character, and we meet another character who is played by um, Natalie Portman, who is a <laughs> Long Island native. Natalie Portman was discovered, allegedly, in a pizzeria, probably somewhere near Syosset, and that is how she originally got cast in the movie The Professional, or Leon, if you prefer. She didn't have a conventional, you know, she wasn't one who was starting to act when she was three and ended up in this and that and the other thing. So Natalie Portman plays an actress named Elizabeth Berry in this film, and she meets, she's, she's portraying, they're making like a TV movie about this woman's life, the Mary Kate Letourneau character, who is... Uh, Gracie. It's funny, I forgot her name was Gracie. So Gracie is the Julianne Moore character. Elizabeth is going to be playing her in a TV movie. Now, out of context, I'm thinking to myself, this is trash. This is tabloid fuckery. This is the same culture. Ooh, I'm getting a little political and philosophical here. But this is the same culture that when I was a senior in high school, a Massapequa woman by the name of Mary Jo Buttafuoco was shot almost to death by the lover of her husband. Three, count them, three made-for-TV movies on the major networks sprung about as a result of that tawdry, preposterous, very human and unnecessary tragic scandal. I don't think that any of those actresses, actors, or anybody did research by spending a month with any of the actual principals. But in the world of May, December, Natalie Portman's character, and I don't think her character is somewhat successful, but she, she hasn't had the career of like the real Natalie Portman, who is very well respected in the industry as we know. So she comes to visit Elizabeth and, uh, and the husband, who, as we say, uh, They've been together 23 years. He's 36. He's basically the same age as the actress that Natalie plays in the movie, and his name is Joe. So the way the film is set up and the musical choices are very strange, 
we keep thinking that film is going to go into almost like a thriller type of a scenario. It doesn't. It stays focused on the characters. And it is, um, it's a challenging film. It doesn't do what you think. It doesn't dwell on, it doesn't, they, the past is discussed, but you don't see flashbacks to a 13-year-old boy. They spare us the horror. It, go, it takes place in our minds. That's, it's unavoidable that that's going to happen. But through Natalie's character, her interactions with Julianne's character of Grace, and Charles Melton, terrific young actor I'm not familiar with, and he may actually get nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He's gotten a lot of early buzz, different awards, and he was on a TV show, Riverdale. The actor's name is Charles Melton. Again, completely unfamiliar with him. Much as with the movie The Holdovers, another young actor who's probably going to be nominated for supporting, Dominic Sessa, he had a run out, a situation similar to um, what I just said about Natalie Portman. He was just a kid in school, and he was noticed, and his first movie was The Holdovers. But Charles Melton had the experience, and people you know, with, uh, would work with him on Riverdale. They talked him up. So he got this role in a more conventional fashion, from what I understand. But Julianne's character rarely raises her voice. But to me, she's fucking insane. She's totally off her rocker in the Nurse Ratched kind of way, where she's not a yeller, she doesn't have crazy emotional outbursts, or she doesn't do that kind of batshit crazy stuff. But more that she earnestly, when it was discovered what was going on, that uh, you're having sex with a 13-year-old boy, ma'am. You're going to have a nice long prison term here. She, in her mind, said, but, but it's, it's not. There's nothing wrong with this. We love each other. Get her out of here. Like, that kind of thing. So the movie does not really render judgments on any of the characters. We are almost dropped in on their lives, and we kind of experience a few weeks of their lives. As they go through a pretty intense couple of weeks, of, the two of the kids are graduating from college, uh, excuse me, from high school, one of the kids returns from college, and then there's the kind of weirdness of the fact that she has this other family with her first husband. And it's, there are moments that are exceedingly, extremely uncomfortable, but not the uncomfortable moments that you expect. And that is a tribute to the filmmaker. Because, you know, you've got actors who come to, who come to give their best, and everybody in this movie is there to give their best. Another thing I appreciate Aside from the, the main actors, the so-called, you know, stars, most of the other roles are filled by people who would appear to be non-actors. It adds almost a cinema verite feel. And specifically, I'm talking about, I'm not familiar with him, the actor who plays Julianne's character, Gracie, her ex-husband. He does not seem like an actor. When Natalie's character meets with him, He's coming across like he's in a documentary, as if this is just a regular guy. This is not an actor playing a role in a movie. This is a guy being interviewed for the Mary Kay Latorno documentary. He may as well have been Mary Kay Latorno's first husband. Like That's how real he seems. And one of the sons that Julianne had, that her character had with the first husband, 
he comes across like a real person and not an actor. So it is, it is an interesting sort of contrast of styles where you have people giving performances. And Natalie's character is actually very tricky because she's an actress. We don't really know when she's meeting with the family and people in their circle. Is she being genuine or is she acting? And what is she really hoping to accomplish by spending time around the family? She keeps talking about, I hope, I don't want this movie to be trash. I don't want this to be tabloid fodder, but it's going to be tabloid fodder anyway. Is she really that naive or is she playing a character even while researching that she can't get out of the concept of playing a character because she's an actress? And without giving anything away, there's a scene that she has late in the film uh, with Joe, the husband of Julianne's character. His name is Joe in the movie, and, and she's Gracie. That is, uh, Julianne's character is Gracie. But she has a scene, which is a really strong scene, where you feel like she is being genuine with the character of Joe. We're the same age. You're so young right now. Yes, you have two kids that are about to go to college, but you're so young. You can do something else with your life. Now, is she being honest? Is she grandstanding? I don't know. But the idea that she says, I hope to find something real and true. And different people in the family have different responses and reactions to that. And from a conceptual standpoint, what are you supposed to say? Real and true about what? The fact that this woman at age 35 had sex with a 13-year-old boy who was not in any way capable of making those kinds of decisions. It doesn't matter what the law is in that state. What she did was disgusting. Is that the truth you're talking about? What are we, what are we talking about? You know, as Alan Ivers said, what are we talking about? Practice? No, what are we talking about? What truth could we find here that is not tabloid body, that is not sensationalistic, that is not disgusting? You ask me, there isn't any. She's wasting her time. But I do believe that her character is trying and that she thinks that the research will help to make the movie feel more real, less sensationalistic. But if you, in a fictional context, have to pretend it doesn't work, not even going to go into it, it's gross. It doesn't work. So you can argue that her whole process is idiotic and pathetic and absurd. But that's neither here nor there. It all works within the context of this very difficult, frustrating, and sad. It's a sad movie. And it, it gets into really weird territory, and it's, this movie has nothing to do with it, but another brilliant filmmaker, Pedro Almodovar, another guy on the list of greatest living filmmakers. There are certain movies where the concepts are very, very horrifying, and we don't expect them to be, but they are. And they leave us with too many questions to possibly answer. This film, and when you take into account the number of people in this family, it's very troubling when you start doing the math and doing the gymnastics to try to kind of justify or rationalize it, but it's one of the ways you look at it. However you look at it, you're going to piss somebody off if you say out loud what you think. And in the movie Talk to Her, which was it's a movie that's incredibly more than 20 years old, I think 2003, um, the main character does something so, dis so disgraceful, disgusting, and illegal 
that you hate him and you want him to be locked up forever. But the end result of what he did ended up giving life in a, in a cockeyed, messed up way, in, a, in a just a horrifying way. And you were left shaken with the idea of there is no, there's nothing positive that came out of this that you can actually look at and say out loud and not feel like you need to take a bath. I, at the end of the movie, May, December, I was shaken. I was very agitated. But I had experienced something that was not just a normal standard. A Saturday night, throw it on for a couple of hours. This movie is absolutely worth seeing. It, it will challenge you. It will not so much make you question your perception of, no, 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 no. But it will challenge you. And there are certain conclusions that you might draw at the end that two weeks ago you may not have. Because seeing the movie might cause you to uh, you know, perceive things differently because there is a human cost to this level of fuckery that the Mary Kay Latornos of the world perpetrated. And the actors are so good. Charles Melton as Joe, the young man. Julianne Moore as Gracie. And terrific Natalie Portman as Elizabeth Berry, the actress who is staying with them for research purposes. And with that, we've reached the end of episode 52 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I want to thank you all once again for joining me on this Wednesday evening in New York. If you're checking out the YouTube version of the podcast and haven't done so already, please don't forget to click like, smash the subscriber bell, flip on those notifications. I'll be back with episode 53 real soon.